Hi everyone, welcome to the AI of Mankind show, where I share anything interesting about mankind. I'm your host for this season. My name is Andrew Liu. I've worked across four continents and 12 international cities. Also, I've worked in tech startups across a range of roles from selling products, making customer happy, figuring out fundraising, making finance tick, building teams, and developing sticky products. Apart from building startups, I've also worked in Fortune 500 companies as a chief data scientist or technologist or people leader. You can call me jack of all trades or master of learning. I hope to make this podcast show a great learning experience for us. In each season, there is a series of interesting things where I invite guests to share their views about their life and interests. Now let the show begin. In the previous episode, Pete talked about his backstory. Along the way, she shared her views on how COVID-19 get people thinking about how people interact with technology to do their work in their workplace, be it online or offline. She also mentioned this actually lead to the rise of VR, metaverse and extended reality over time. This episode continued the part 2 conversation with Pip and Pip shared her views on the use of data impact trust, the purpose of developing an ethics, data and technology charter as well as the importance of having skill inventory in organizations to start digital transformation. We must discuss and agree upon the use and application. What are the, the analytics that come out of What are we building on top of that? What is our approach to our people? That's where things start get, getting really sticky and that's why a lot of the people who ask me about monitoring they were looking at punitive measures in ways of using this data. And that, to me, is just one-way track downhill. It's not just the trust. If they won't trust the collection of data. They won't trust the application of technology. It's more than the relationship between manager and employee that is affected by a lack of trust. In fact, I believe it could undermine the overall digital transformation strategy because if an employee is not going to trust how their company uses data, or collects data and how they use it, then it doesn't matter what you do with technology, employees will undermine the effort. It sounds like we need to encourage leaders to have a town hall on a regular basis on what is the data that we collected, how is the data being used to help you guys without go down the slippery slope of being a punitive measure so that there's trust and people are willing to give more data knowing that it's helping them for their well-being and maybe their bonuses and stuff. I'd go one step further. Yes, one thing that I often encourage people to do is to develop an ethics charter or a data and technology charter in their workplace. HR did this decades ago with the development of value. Once upon a time, there were no values. HR ran sessions with focus groups and you name it to develop the values for companies. That was my early career focus. But Today, the issue is around data and technology. To develop, to have the conversations, to develop a charter or a set of principles within an organization about how data is used, how technology is selected, and some high principles around that. I think that will go a long way to airing the conversation rather than on a tool-by-tool basis or a case-by-case basis as an overarching approach. And companies can even apply this to how they treat their customers and treat their customers' data. It over and above the legalities. It's the very philosophy of how that company believes we should use data and technology in the interest of people. I like the way that you think along that line because I was thinking along the line of 
two parts. One part is definitely along what you mentioned is leaders should really focus on communicating data, using data communication or communication of data as a strategy, whether it's in marketing, whether it's in HR. Of course, the other side is there's having a chart of ethics will be good. But having said that, I think we want to be focusing on the benefits and the use of that and not too ring fencing it whereby it stifles innovation because I mean I used to work in big companies like innovative companies and they caution on the side of people doing bad. So obviously not being the punitive slippery slope of people are bad, but they are worried like people will abuse the data. I give you two stories. One was a big bank to get data science well, I have to fill up what they call the DAR form means data access request form. Just to get one column of data, I have to talk to six, seven people. And then by the time I'm done with this form, that form, it's three months away. And then my boss is like, what have you been doing with data science? Oh, I'm just collecting data because of the safety ring fences. Now, it's crazy. I think when, and that's why I fire purpose. An ethics charter is not necessarily governance. I see them quite differently. In fact, in the absence of purpose, if you will. That's where governance starts getting very heavy. And governance often is less to individual people's judgment. So when you were getting it signed off, you were leaving it to someone at the C-suite to understand A, what you were doing, B, the true nature of that data, C, the way you were going to use it is appropriate. And with all respect to them, I doubt that they were all skilled enough to actually do that. They just got it. They didn't send any red flag lying, so they just signed it all. Rather than Having the strength of purpose to say, or give a charter for to say, what do we do? How do I make this decision? And if they have to make it, or if it's just automatic. So yet I do not find that heavy governance is a replacement or, or doesn't necessarily include privacy and let's say nefarious use of data and technology in the workplace. I've seen some companies with very heavy governance. I'm thinking the banking industry just generally doesn't improve the purpose of why they do what they do, data or otherwise. Now, let's say a leader or C-suite comes to you and say, Pip, I really like you and I, I want to do digital transformation. I want to do this ethical charter. What do I need to take note in order to really digitally transform instead of just lip service? It's nasty. It's not available. They need skills. <laughs> they need their people to have skills. Often I'll say, we'll just hire them. You and I know that those skills don't exist anywhere else. But really the best people to transform at any organization are the people who are already in it. So unless they start by understanding the skills as needed for that digital transformation and to build them in their workforce, they're not going to be able to continuously transform. Digital transformation is not a one and done. It must be both continuous adaptation and evolution as technology changes evolves. And this education, of course, includes them. <laughs> Gone are the days when CEOs had to have their emails printed for they couldn't use the computer. Was it in my day? I used to have to print for the HR director. So skills is number one. The number two is not being blinded by the bright shiny lights and fabulous promises of cool technology. They have to start with the problem. What are they trying to accomplish with a business? Where is the opportunity that is presented to them through technology? Technology is a tool, technological tool, is an enabler. It's not a means or an end of itself. So unless they understand the problem of what they're trying to accomplish in the business very deeply and be able to match it with the unique value that a technology may be able to offer and putting that at the center of the strategy, 
then they're going to be people I think were stupid. You've got to come back to the business, got to come back to the problem. I see a lot of companies chase bright, shiny things, and it really is. They burn so much money and effort and wonder why it doesn't yield results. And then the final one for me is I do believe the future will belong to the bold, those who are willing to experiment with technology. If a leader has a culture that is featured with risk aversion or time-consuming decision-making, or if there's hesitancy to allocate funds to programs with unclear return on investment, they will find experimentation and agility very difficult. If you try something new, you can try as many technology projects as you like to put a, a clear ROI. We don't know. No, they need to be comfortable with unfair return on investment. If they are of those three things, they will find experimentation and agility very difficult. Subsequently, they won't be able to be brave in their approach to an ongoing digital transformation agenda. Let's talk about the skills because I think this is a common thing that both of us are really like to talk about. For C-suite or leaders out there, they will always be thinking, yeah, we all know that we need to upskill or reskill our people. But how do we really know that the individual is really learning and most importantly, convert the learning to try something or to apply something? I'll give you a quick example. One of the big company that deal with transport and the SVP of learning development. Okay, okay. The problem is very simple. As we get LinkedIn learning, everybody blast out email that I'm going to chase to all your line managers, make sure your line managers cheese all the juniors, making sure that everything goes through this like 15 minutes click of like LinkedIn learning for almost like three months. I call it the learning festival. And so like what happened was that people was just, okay, I just sit down there, click it on and do cooking or call my friends, play computer game and there's the shit out trade. At the end of the three months, the uh, CEO or some big heads like, okay, so they randomly call upon these juniors. What have you learned? Oh, digital marketing. Okay, come, uh, you go to this de- department and do digital marketing. So I don't know how. I mean, I don't know. How do we solve this kind of problem? Yeah. yeah, look, it's a really difficult one. And I don't pretend to be an L&D expert. It was not my sort of specialty throughout my career. I really do think that today we need those expertise and the educational the pedagog- people who specialise in pedagogy and understanding. The biggest issue we've got is that I see is in some ways the problem that I experience personally. It's not a matter of learning a completely new skill on top of a, that builds on what I've got. It's building a new skill or knowledge base beside what I've got. Now, when I said it's another string to my bow, it's compliments, but it wasn't deeper HR. I wasn't going to learning more about human resources to be able to do digital transformation. I had to learn something different. Now, when we're looking at those sort of parallel or those adjacent type of skills, it is much harder to map than it is to map a skill that will build. It would have been very easy to say, in HI, you are missing this and this. At a high level of competency, you can go and do blah, blah, blah. So remuneration is pretty specific. L&D, so everything experienced in these fields. So yeah, that is easy to map. But my technical skill, I didn't even know what I didn't know. I didn't even know how to get... And if we magnify that across workforces, that's what we've got. We've got a problem of people not knowing what they need to learn and subsequently an HR struggling to figure out what do our people need to know. For future that is uncertain, we don't actually know what our strategy is. How will we ever understand skills that they need to learn? I wish I could answer this question. It's a really difficult one to answer. In my personal experience, 
my personal view is that no learning is wasted. You never know what is going to be useful. You really don't. From other experience or something you read in a a newspaper. For me, the most important thing is time needs to be spent learning, personally, for every individual. It's not just our agenda or company's agenda. We all have to be interested in learning and helping find it ourselves. I found mine mine didn't come about because any of you in HR or except me. Or anyone in the company said, hey, this is what you need to learn. You know, I discovered my own path and I built it myself. A lot of the time we outsource that discovery process to HR or to others who are struggling. So, yeah, I wish I had a clear answer. I had an interesting view of because you're mentioning about discovery. Individuals need to set a path and through that path they discover, oh, this, I actually need to solve this problem, but I don't know how. And that's when they, oh, I realize that this is the skill that I need to learn. So that could be one angle, like enable learning discovery through taking on a specific pathway or a specific mission. And that's where managers or leaders can work with agile or scrum master for tech staff. We should also have a skill analyst or skill data scientist or skill manager to annotate the skills or knowledge that is missing to solve that specific problem. I don't think we've been doing it long enough to generate the data yet. So could we curate personalized work learning journeys that are embedded in their work? So what they need to learn is in their hand. The data doesn't exist yet. It's certainly not in a form that we can harness that data to be able to work. I'll give you another example of something that I've been working on recently. I work in a voluntary booth to the AI APAC Institute. And one thing I've been helping them do is develop a capability framework. So we had a discussion at the beginning and I decided that we needed a capability framework rather than a competency framework. Our friends in HR will understand. <laughs> For everybody else, it really doesn't matter. But when we do our discussions around what capabilities do we cover, it became very clear that we need to provide training or education to people who work with AI, not in AI. And it's a subtle but a significant difference. If you are working with AI, you're not an engineer. You might be a risk specialist. You might be an HR specialist. You might be a finance specialist. You might be a marketing specialist. But it works with AI differently as a tool in the course of their work rather than deep in the tool as people who work in AI. And the more we looked at this, the more we realized that actually all these technologies the training focuses on people who work in the, the tool or in the technology, not with the technology, as an augmentation to what they are doing today. If they're skilled, so still working in this specialist area, but not necessarily just with the tool of HVI. For the analogy, let me help the audience out there. I like to use like the vitamins pill that I'm looking at, like this vitamin C. So everybody wants to be healthy. Everybody wants to be fit. Doctors say do more exercise take supplements. So when with AI means I'm using this with the vitamin C, I'm growing up with the vitamin C, I'm getting healthy with the vitamin C. So it's about consuming, how do I interact and consume with this vitamin C? Whereas you mentioned about in AI means like the guys who's making the vitamin C, the guys that's making the doses of vitamin C, making the bottles of vitamin C. Am I saying that? Is that a good analogy? That's it. Yeah, absolutely. Right. We are facing an explosion of what I call a TMI, too much information. When you want to solve a HR problem, let's say recruiting or let's say onboarding. And we have about two, three hundred onboarding software. 
And then the HR manager will be like, oh my God, how much should I do? Like, okay, all the HR software, all the onboarding HR software these days all have this flavor called the AI. What was the advice to help a HR manager to work with AI to solve his problem or her problem? Hi everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode. We have come to the end of part 2 with Pip. In the next episode, we will continue with Pip on part 3 which she explained the reason why people don't know where to look for the right tools to kickstart digital transformation. On top of that, this episode talks about the importance of problem identification over solutioning. She will also share how AI integration with other technologies is important to enable digital transformation. She shared her observations about how the tools can be chosen to serve companies at the expense of people. Finally, she shared an observation that AI leads to the rise of algorithm management and how that impacts autonomy, task significance, and job complexity. If this is the first time you are tuning in, remember to subscribe to this show. If you have subscribed to this show and love this episode, please share it with your friends, family, and acquaintances. See you later and see you soon.